We continue in God's Word this morning in our second lesson in Galatians chapter 3, starting in the 23rd verse. That's Galatians chapter 3, starting in the 23rd verse, reading all the way into the fourth chapter. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise of, of the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Word of the Lord. Begin with a question. Are you thirsty? I know that's kind of mean since we're not supposed to bring drinks into the sanctuary. But uh, as we consider what it takes to quench our thirst, I was pondering that this last week and the week before, in particular as folks who live in the high desert. We all are well acquainted with the problems of dehydration and altitude sickness. We know they are real, don't we? Now this... uh, this analogy didn't work quite so well last night when I was preaching and it was pouring down rain behind me, but uh, we are acquainted that altitude sickness and dehydration are real. In fact, whenever we have guests, I'm sure it's true for you all, we have to remind our guests from out of town to drink lots of water so they don't get a headache, right? But when it gets really bad, you know what happens, right? Because that, that first moment when you feel thirsty, you're already dehydrated. When it gets really bad, you no longer thirst, do you? In fact, the thought of drinking something, anything, including water, the very thing you need, makes you sick to your stomach, makes you nauseous, just the thought of it. Well, that spiritual sickness is not unlike the secular age that we live in. Many no longer feel what Augustine described as the God-shaped hole of our restless hearts, the severely dehydrated spiritually often feel like we do when we're severely dehydrated physically. The thought of a metaphysical, for many in our age, the thought of a God who has come to save us makes them nauseous. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. In fact, they don't even feel like they're sick. Maybe some of us here know that hole, that God-shaped hole. Some of us here don't feel it. Either way, this is the place for you this morning. For this is the place where we come to gather to wrestle with those questions, 
to hear the word of life. And so whether you feel or don't feel spiritually sick, if life has got you down, then I want to extend an invitation. This gathering is for you this day. A place to be renewed, a a place to be filled up again, a place to encounter a loving, living God who does want us to take in the IV of hydration and be renewed. The whole letter of Galatians is actually talking to folks who are sick but don't realize it. They think they've got it all together, that they're drinking well, but really they're drinking from empty cisterns. A dried up place that will not quench their thirst. And I've tried to describe that as we've encountered this text in the book of Galatians these weeks together that I've been with you in preaching. That first in chapter 1 there is, as we heard, no other gospel. And then as we encountered His Word in chapter 2, there is no other hope. And now today I want us to consider as we read this text together, there is no other promise. No other promise that can ultimately even touch the thirst that we feel or maybe even sometimes don't feel. I was reading more about this secular age that we live in this week in an article about some of the secular champions, including Camille Pagilia, who, interestingly enough, was a champion uh, uh, at first in the 1960s anti-establishment movement, but now has been being quoted by several Orthodox Christians. Now, she is nowhere near the Orthodox Christian camp that, that we live in here at Faith Lutheran. But she has noted that in this current age, an age that all of us, Camille included, help usher in, uh, that it is increasingly becoming an age of anti-intellectualism. She especially noted that in light of the way that distinctives in identity are thought of, that oftentimes it becomes a thought police in society today. And she's been ridiculed by many in her own community for the stances that she's taking. My words now, not hers. It seems to me that she's beginning to discover the truth uh, that the truth that she had grounded her worldview on is not quenching the thirst of truth. The thirst for reality. The thirst that only I confess before you today and invite you to consider is a promise that comes from God. She will talk about, and many in the secular age will talk about the intersections of truth, the intersexuality or intersectionality of truth. Well, in Galatians, in our text today, we, we encounter a different intersection. An intersection of truth that Paul wants us to understand will quench that thirst will solve our spiritual dehydration. And it's an intersection of the law and the gospel. And there's a movement that takes place. And that movement takes place in our baptism as we read in verse 27. 
as we come into Christ, then we're invited through this intersection to put on Christ. And this intersection of sorts of the law and gospel uh, brings us somewhere. There's a movement that begins in the law and carries us into the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The law, Martin Luther says, as he thinks about this text, is a specialist. A specialist at bringing us to Christ. For the law scolds us. Sin screams at us. Death thunders at us. The devil roars at us. And in the midst, he writes of the clamor of the Spirit of Christ, cries in our hearts, Abba, Father. And so this is the movement that we see in this text in Galatians chapter 3 and into chapter 4 this morning. A movement of the law ushering us into Christ. Moving us from a guardian and a taskmaster, a schoolmaster, if you will, in our baptism to Christ. To put on Christ. Who now we can call Abba Father. To an intimate personal relationship with God. We're going to examine this morning this movement. Scholars actually tell us that Paul is using a fragment of an ancient baptismal liturgy here to teach the Galatians and to teach us what it means to put on Christ. Often, and we see it throughout the New Testament, God uses Paul to get the church back on track and he's doing that here again today to help us put on Christ and to live as God has invited us to to let the law do its special work to do its speciality to usher us and bring us to the gospel and so this gospel is God's promise for us there is no other promise that can bring us into the very presence of of God and to be able to call him Abba, which means Daddy, Father. One of the beautiful things about this movement, this liturgy, if you will, is that all of us can move from simply being under this taskmaster, as Luther describes this guardian, as a schoolmaster. Now, his picture of a schoolmaster from his day was, you know, the wrist slapping, follow the rules. You see, there is no nothing but black and white under the law. We either accomplish it or we don't. And what we discover here in this picture is that we don't. Now, this is not a schoolmaster like some of you are school teachers getting ready for school who share your heart and love for your students. This is a different picture that is being used by Paul here. And this is important because he wants us to understand that the law is really, as Dr. Keith Scott puts it, is actually a spiritual hitman. A spiritual hitman to kill us with the law and show us that we are wholly incapable of justifying ourselves before God. And then we need a spiritual midwife to bring us to new life through the gospel, through the finished work of Christ. Do you notice a need for that spiritual hitman in your life? 
a need for authentic truth. Maybe you wonder how your identity relates to your friends or family or the world around us. Have you ever found that trying harder just doesn't seem to last long? Maybe you're thirsty for the regenerative waters of baptism for the very first time. Or maybe you need to come to this table of grace to finally be filled up today. I invite you to allow the law to do its work, to do its hitman work, to lead you and usher you into an encounter with Christ. Encounter the Gospel and come to know the Father who says, you can call me Abba, you can call me Daddy. You see, it's interesting, as God ushers us in, we hear what might seem like a paradox when you first read this text because you, you hear... You hear that there is no race, no Jew or Gentile, no gender, no male nor female, no socioeconomic class, slave nor free, no status that can keep you from this good news. And then you hear that the inheritance, as at the end of that reading, is for sons. What's going on? Well, they're using... A word important here for the first century, sons were the ones who received the inheritance. So it's a legal term. The distinctive uh, nature of who you are created by God doesn't change. We're not being told that our race is being obliterated or our gender is being obliterated like some of the Gnostics did in the first century and even some of our uh, uh, current thinkers have put forth, no, that's not what's going on here. Your distinctive doesn't change. What's changed is your status before God, which is you now have the same status, legal status as a son. You're being ushered into an inheritance. You now have the full inheritance of the Father. And so you come from an impersonal, cold guardian to an intimate, loving guardian. And so it's no wonder that as we hear this text in other places, as Jesus invites us to pray, like in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, that's Abba Father. He's inviting us to have that kind of close communication with God. Or in Romans chapter 8, where we hear about the cries of our hearts being interceded for by the Spirit and carried to this good Father. The very cries of our hearts carried to God. There's a movement here, a liturgical movement, a movement of our hearts that you're being invited to receive. To receive this promise. To be ushered into the Gospel, ushered into the Christ Himself. And it's intimate. It's personal. It's individual. Not individualistic however, for we receive it together as the body of Christ and we then share it generously, this great love with the world around us. This deeper satisfying connection is done by God's Word alone who came and did this and completed this work on the cross for us. This deep connection can be understood in that parent relationship. Researchers, for example, recently studied 60 healthy newborn children from both uh, French and German families. And what they found was fascinating. Each newborn baby 
has its own cry melody, a specific pattern of sounds that is unique to his or her cry. But more than that, they found that babies will match their cry to the sounds and intonations of their mother's voice. It's a great picture of what God is ushering us into, this kind of intimate connection. God is indeed for us. And this intimate movement for you is an invitation to put on Christ. To put on this promise given for us in His Word. This promise of the Gospel is God's hand for us, holding us in His loving arms. We receive it in baptism. We receive it at this table of grace. Lutheran theologian uh, Professor Ferdi who's once wrote, a sacrament is an action in which the Word of God does something to us through the earthly sign. It's an action in which God gets through to us in a concrete way. This sacrament, literally, he'll write, is for you and has your name on it. Your creative distinctive doesn't change. It's not been obliterated in nothing. But in a personal, intimate way, you are being ushered in by God's speciality, the law, into a personal relationship with the God, the Abba Father, who is for you. And it's this promise that can ultimately quench that deep thirst that we feel. It's a different intersection of truth than the world preaches. Not the one that is built on self-help or not the lie of self-centered secular age, but for you, for you, by God Himself. And so this promise, hear it again. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. That is inheritors of the promise. You get the full inheritance of God the Father. This is your new identity in Christ. Through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, you're now invited now to put on Christ. Your name is on it. You are adopted heirs. Receive this gift. Receive this promise. And then share it. Share it with the world. Amen.